So if we embrace the hybridity and kind of the ability to actually think about these not as independent things, technology and human beings, we don't necessarily want to like, well, let's look at this as together. How do, how do we see the world differently? And how do we actually come at, and how do we intentionally design for when that comes together more with more intention for different times and places in our lives? Um, second is really around tracking and thinking about tracking the evolution of of uh, this transformation. Right? In the next few decades, you know, we're, we're there's all the you know sci-fi talk about everything that's going to go on in the sentient you know world that we're going to live in, and that'll be interesting and it'll be exciting. But I think we need to track and understand kind of what we're doing as 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 we can continue to transform. Hi everyone, welcome to Design Drives, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers and innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In the episode, I had the pleasure to chat with Scott Robinson, founder and CEO of Freshform, a customer and user experience agency based in San Diego, but he's also the president of the Design Forward Alliance. With Scott, I chat about how human-centered design is changing as humans evolve, but also the environment of humans becomes increasingly technological. We also dive into the difference and in intersection of customer experience design and employee experience design. Further, Scott does play a key role in the context of Design Capital 2024, which will be a collaboration of San Diego and Tijuana in Mexico. In the episode, we learn about what makes the region special and unique. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, I'm here with Scott Robinson. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So really looking forward to talking to you about uh, San Diego and being actually the world design capital of 2024, all of that process that happened there. And then of course you have a lot of experience in design leadership, managing innovation projects, um, design thinking, and I think also uh, very interesting points of view on where human-centered design is going, um, considering uh, also technology and the uh, um, evolution of that. So really looking forward to chat with you about that. But it would be really great for the audience if you can just give some more context about yourself, how it all started out for you as a designer. Yeah, well, uh, I come from a background of traditional graphic design. And really, this is late 90s, went through kind of formal education in graphic design and uh, went through Web 1.0, worked as startup, Idea Lab startup, and uh, that was fantastically a failure uh, in a in a great way i learned a ton i started Freshform, um my company that i that i own now uh, in 2001 and over the last 20 years 21 years now we've been kind of evolving the way that we think about design the way that we think about experience design in, in at large and we've done everything from experience strategy to product design to uh, various digital experiences and kind of evolving that into kind of hybrid experiences. And uh, today, you know, Freshform is an innovation and experience design consultancy. Uh, we're here based in San Diego, but we're distributed and spending a lot of time with some amazing clients that we have today. So, um, uh, what, what are the usual industries that you're covering with your projects? We're really in industry agnostic. However, we've kind of fallen into a lot of technology, a lot of software as a service uh, businesses. Um, we're mostly mid-market and large enterprise focused, but we've we spend most of our time these days in life sciences, medical devices, um, the experiences that uh, may have a digital component, but also a physical element. 
and working also with uh, consumer electronics as well. So it's spectrum over the last 20 years, we've really touched on every industry possible. Right now, we're really focused on those particular industries and uh, looking forward to, to seeing kind of what we can do and, and really helping those industries and those clients um, that, that we're really focused on now. That uh, has been an interesting kind of process where we've spent a lot of time for, for a while, for a period of the 20 years, uh, in higher education. We did a fair amount of in, mm-hmm. in higher education learning and, and growing kind of with uh, universities, uh, world-class Johns Hopkins University. We've done work with uh, a variety of different small liberal arts schools and uh, across the world. And then uh, University of Washington, we did a, a, a international focused design, engineering, and innovation program um, that was binational, which was fantastic. It was really interesting, called the Global Innovation Exchange, um, sponsored by Microsoft. And so over the years, again, we've touched on all these different industries and seen all of that. And then really kind of our space right now is how, how do we enhance customer experiences, regardless of the, uh, the industry that we're really focused on. Um, but we do have a, a fair amount of, of experience right in the patient experience, uh, the consumer experience, the user experience on software and, uh, and in, in that realm. So it's all fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a nice thing of a designer working specifically in a consulting setup like you're doing. You can tap in so many industries, right? And uh, really learn a lot. Um, basically, with every project, you um, sort of like on your way to you know learn about a complete new topic that you don't know about yet. And I think that is uh, you know something great about you know working in that setup. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I mean, I'll just kind of add on to that is that um, we just started a new relationship with. Um, company called Illumina, um, which is a global um, genomics company that um, really kind of pioneered uh, the ability to sequence the human genome. And uh, Illumina is really kind of putting together the ability to, to understand and personalize medicine uh, across a variety of different industries and segments. But I don't have a, a degree <laughs> in genomics. Um, but what we do is we bring this curiosity uh, to any industry that we're kind of going into and uh, we're digging in, we're understanding kind of the, the, the dynamics, the history of, of the organization, the industry as it's evolving um, and, and bring a fresh pair of eyes to, to, the, uh, to the conversation. So, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, in the next 10 years, what new industries will kind of evolve, but uh, we're, we're open for the, the challenges that will come with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think initially before we started uh, the episode, we were actually chatting a little bit about you know, and the friction of, you know, talking to new clients. I mean, uh, also speaking from your side, maybe as a founder and manager of a um, design consulting firm, um, you know, there's always some friction in terms of like getting in touch maybe with new businesses, etc. And something you guys have been doing is sort of like adding one format that maybe makes that a little bit easier. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some friction that maybe you maybe have experienced in all of your years that went sort of like, building relationships in that context and actually taking a relationship actually to like a bigger scope and a bigger, bigger project and how you handle all of that. And uh, specifically also how like that offering that you created sort of uh, fits into that bigger picture. Yeah. Um, what um, you're referring to really is we, the way that we frame it is the acceleration workshops. And if we look at any organization that we're talking to, any conversation that we're in, um, there's some element of a, a sticking point, a, a challenge or a problem uh, worth solving. And uh, one is that not always 
are those problems obvious? Um, mm -hmm. But two, um, you know, when you're in the grind on a daily basis in an organization, whether it's a culture that's striving or a culture that's maybe needs a little bit of support or help, you may need some help getting unstuck. And so we developed a more of an, a model around acceleration of getting unstuck quickly. And that's just using a lot of the principles in design thinking, uh, the ability to bring teams together, cross-disciplinary teams, to have the conversations that are worth having, to be able to understand a line around a problem, and then define, you know, how best to be able to, un, you know, un, unstick from that particular area so that you can move and you can practice different ideas, solution sets, um, and get kind of cross-organizational buy-in. Uh, from in a quick fashion versus some of these things that may may have been built up over years. It's just it's part design therapy, it's part design um, design thinking, and it's part design doing. So I think you can bring all of those things together in a short time frame in a in an undaunting way. It's not a annual contract or anything like that. But what we can do is you can focus on a a single thing that really kind of opens the doors and conversations. We feel that that one, it builds trust with our, our clients and it builds trust within the organization itself. And then from there, uh, we now start to look at the broader customer experience and areas that we, that, that we might think that, that might add value. There may be areas of innovation. There may be areas of just pure optimization of, of an experience. But at that point, we have a little bit of information and some knowledge on understanding kind of what's, what's going on within an organization and where we, we might be able to help. Yeah, it's a great way to sort of like, you know, discover opportunities to scope out potential projects as well, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just, you know, discovering areas for innovations where the business itself wants to go in, uh, internally as well, right? So yeah, that def definitely makes sense. And, you know, I think it's it has nothing to do with sort of the sort of more traditional sense of what design uh, also does uh, more craft aspects, but it's very much just about the strategy and applying the methodologies, right? I think it's super interesting. You also wrote an article um, in recent time, which was about hybrid design. Um, and we can link that article also um, to the show notes. But I think it would be interesting to hear maybe a summary of that from your side in terms of uh, what exactly you mean with hybrid design um, and how does that influence the, the future of the designer? Yeah, um We've had a lot of interest from the article. It's been interesting and, and uh, it was uh, co-authored by a colleague of mine um, who comes from an anthropology background. So we had this interesting kind of cross-section of uh, looking at the world, understanding kind of where, um, where we are kind of in this particular time frame, and you know, what we might do differently in the ways that we think about design. And um, we had a lot of conversations internally. We've had a, a look at some of the things that what kind of frame out what we call unintended consequences through design. And it's unfortunate as designers, we never aim to, to, to create kind of these, these consequences or these impacts uh, that negatively impact humanity or society at whatever kind of angle that you look at it, but it happens. And so what can we start to do to understand and think about designing for a future in which we now are looking at a couple different perspectives. And when we talk about hybrid, um, I want to kind of define hybrid first. And when we think about hybrid centered design, it, um, you know, the article kind of goes into depth here, but it, it really kind of covers a couple different things. But I think, first of all, a hybrid is you and I, right? Today, today we look at, you know, we're, we're augmented. We're no longer purely human beings anymore, you know? 
Uh, and that comes in the for, you know, the, 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 the opportunity is saying, I can pick up my phone. I can answer any question. I have the data in my, in, in my palm. Uh, I can now understand this data is going to actually now be predictive and, and help supportive of, uh, and anticipate a lot of my needs. And so me as a human being, I, I'm no longer just purely a human, unless I go and I kind of have a little, you know, tech vacation or anything like that. But, um, uh, but what we do is, is, is if we start to look at that in an optimistic way instead of a pessimistic way, it gives us an opportunity to actually see the world and design the world for an increasing kind of level of hybridity. It really takes in, first, we should be thinking about highlighting hybridity. It's okay. You know, it's okay that we're augmented now. We're not, you know, we're going to leverage more and more technology. And, and, you know, my daughter, who's 15, you know, is completely immersed, uh, my son, the same way. It's just um, the next generation is not going to know anything different, and 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 so how do we think and predict and and can consider what that um, that type of impact will be? So if we embrace the hybridity and kind of the ability to actually think about these not as independent things, technology and human beings, we don't necessarily want to like well let's look at this as together. How do, how do we see the world differently, and how do we actually come at, and at, how do we intentionally design for when that comes together more with more intention for different times and places in our lives? Um, second is really around tracking and thinking about tracking the evolution of, of uh, this transformation, right? In the next few decades, you know, we're, we're, there's all the, you know, sci-fi talk about everything that's going to go on in the sentient, you know, world that we're going to live in. And that'll be interesting and it'll be exciting but I think we need to track and understand kind of what we're doing as, as, as we can continue to transform. So we look at this is that we're, if we look at us as human beings, we're under revision all the time. We're kind of, we're, we're learning, we're growing, you know, we're kind of evolving. So what are we doing to, to now think of that as a component to say, we're, we're at a different level now, you know, we have different things, we have different systems at our disposal. So what can we do um, to maybe think about that? And then the last is, is like, it's not, it's not us versus technology or us versus the machines, right? Is that how do we then think about a world that flourishes together? How do we actually think about an, a, a way in which technology can kind of grow in a, sustain, in a responsible way, as well as humanity actually grow and, and we evolve and, and, and be okay with, you know, elements of technology kind of coming into our world and alive. I'm not talking Elon Musk level, you know, kind of embedded technologies in our brains, um, which may or may not come, but it's still something in which what we can do is we can actually look at us coming together in a good positive way. And again, I'm optimistic about the future, um, you know, no Terminator kind of, you know, forefront in my mind, but, you know, I think that we need to be cognizant and responsible for the ways that human beings and technology come together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could see the human as the longest and most iterative design process <laughs> of humanity, right? Um, and it's kind of interesting to look at that way. It's a collective process. We're all doing it together. It's not a one designer. Um, and so we're all shaping that future together. And Absolutely. It's it's very interesting because it's it's a lot of different influences that sort of like shape that. Um, um, and I think the you aspect about augmentation, I think it's relevant as well. I mean. When did it start? Probably when people had to, you know, use the stone to draw something on the wall. You know, that we used, we started to use artifacts to augment our abilities as humans. 
And of course, as we, you know, made fire and I think, uh, really, I think the big shift I think was then when suddenly you had a telephone that you used to have at your home and you could just suddenly now take it with you and your pocket. And now I think technology was really with us the whole time. And I think this was probably like a, a turning point where, um, we kind of went into sort of like a stronger step of that, um, sort of like hybrid, uh, human experience. And I think there are just incremental smaller steps that kind of going to that direction. But, um, yeah, I think super interesting to kind of reflect on it. To touch on that, um, you know, the stone draw, you know, the picking of a stone and kind of carving it into, into the walls and being able to have the cave, cave paintings and drawings and things like that. It, it was a way to interestingly augment memory, right? Is that how do I actually remember this particular thing and pass that down for gener generation to generation? So what I'm really fascinated about as well is that how do we capture and understand memory in today's sense in which our, is our memory actually being pulled out because we have the ability to kind of access you know, things through technology, or is our memory actually getting, you know, smaller as far as our human brain? If you remove the technology, I can't remember anything these days, you know? So I think it's a matter of interesting in the ways that people are, are, are truly kind of shape-shifting in a way uh, to think about what we might become. But I think it goes all the way back, like you said, is that we've been augmenting and utilizing tools for <laughs> forever. So as far as long as, as long as I can remember and, and kind of look back in the history books, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to like, start to look at those little components um, coming into today's life. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, also how does, you know, like you said, it's changing humans, right? So um, these abilities, you know, they of course have influence on, on our evolution and um, there will probably be some content for a future episode <laughs> to look into these kind of consequences. Talking a little bit about, you know, employee experience and, and customer experience as, as I understood also from you, sort of like being two aspects that you were very passionate about. Can you talk a little bit about that and how sort of design plays into it and what are some of like common challenges you're trying to solve and maybe some differences how do you design for an employee was designing for a customer uh it's an interesting question because i you know we we do look at it as that you can't have a, a great customer experience without a great um in, in at least an intentional employee experience and and i think that there's elements of those things i i think that are very very intertwined um I think they're also very similar, but they're more similar than they are different. And the reason why I say that is, is that um, it's still all about people, you know, and if you're designing fundamentally for people and on behalf of people and, and you design an experience that provides meaning and value uh, to that individual as a human being, again, hybrid, uh, then, uh, then you've been successful uh, on a customer level. The differences then, Uh, that go into place is that can you provide meaning and value to employees along the way so you're you're encouraging them inspiring them supporting them and connecting the ways for the employee experience to actually add value to that customer experience so they're they're really kind of connected and, and intertwined i see it as more more unified versus you know different or disparate so um there's just more orchestration i would say Uh, behind the scenes, as far as backstage employee experience, mm -hmm. that uh, that I would uh, put into context and say, when we're designing an employee experience, it's really um, looking at and and connecting 
some interesting dots within an organization that oftentimes may feel siloed and I have to focus on one particular area. Um, but if we can now design an experience that, that really allows, I always talk about altitudes and it's like, which altitude are we looking at things and how should we be as an employee? Do I have enough context? Am I seeing enough of the vision of, of the organization? Am I designing in a way that I can, um, I feel uh, valued and, and I can provide meaning in my work and I now see how that impacts ultimately the bigger picture, whether it's the promise that you have to your customers or the mission that you have as an organization. So the experience that you design from an employee standpoint, I think is, is definitely more of an orchestrated kind of effort. And it's more of a team sport versus a customer experience is more of what I would say an individual activity, but multiple touch points. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but um, it's, it's, they're very much, it's, it's all about people and it's all about the ability to, to, to provide meaning. Mm. Yeah, and I see sort of different paths to to that to talk about employee experience within a project. I think if you if you design if you have the task to, for example, design a new website, um, you could touch on the topic of just not just thinking about the people using the website, but also people like managing the website, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, if you design a physical product, you can have sort of like a service design approach where we sort of like, you try to map out the whole flow and then think about, you know, what is, what we, you know, traditionally focus a lot on the customer experience, sort of the user experience. And yeah. then, but you know, how on the backside are people actually, you know, dealing with that product and selling it, et cetera. So really having that big picture towards like your, um, your product project. And so I think that's one way to bring in the conversation of the employee experience. Uh, is that sort of like usually how this starts for you? Or is it really that, you know, companies start to set up projects fundamentally and firstly targeting the employee experience and putting that in the focus and start basically from there to think about other touch points? The way that we typically are brought into projects and, and conversations is, is more about the customer experience. And the reason why typically, again, organizations are fundamentally trying to build value for the organization and, and growing, you know, whatever it is that mission is that they have. And it oftentimes starts on the outside, you know, so how do we actually um, support the customers better? How do we drive more sales, convert more onboard better? you know, whatever it is, a part of the customer journey that, that we're really focused on enhancing. Um, it's more about kind of the outside piece. However, we go back in and saying what we can do on the inside is through great design and the employee experience, we can actually um, save the company money. We can uh, make the processes more, um, more streamlined. We may be able to kind of add value from a productivity standpoint. So there's a variety of different areas that can, that that are coupled, but it typically is, let's start with value creation on the outside. And then how do we do value capture on the inside? And so that's kind of how we couple, you know, both of those two things together, but it's, it's really a question of um, most of the organizations are trying to advance the customer experience first. And it's, it, it, you know, as I mentioned before, it's they're very, very tied together. It's not, you, know, you can't decouple mm -hmm. these things because one can't be done without the other. Um, you know, employees without customers don't have a job <laughs> and, and, uh, 
and customers without employees have a really terrible experience, you know? So I think it's a, they're very in, intertwined, but it usually starts with the customer experience. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, I've been recently um, learning a little bit about how Starbucks is doing it, for example, right? And one of the reasons why, you know, Starbucks was successful um, is that they have had that focus on the employee experience early on. And I don't know if that's sort of like an overall focus they have, but at least I was learning about some decisions the founders had to do within the, the process of starting um, Starbucks and sort of like how decisions towards employee experience were benefiting the whole growth of the company. So I think what is so interesting is that, you know, I mean, in the end, a company is nothing more than just a, um, a group of people, right? So, you know, the more you can sort of like foster that, they're working towards one mission, right? And I'm just wondering, you know, if you think about employee experience, I think I could, I think, easily understand like in a, in a sort of like product project or like a UX project, sort of like like what would be sort of the way to kind of frame that and kind of bring that in on a conceptual level, right? So we can think about like, you know, how it would impact the employee experience. Um, um, and then I'm wondering, like, how do you sort of like handle the, the sort of deliveries of that uh, when it comes to sort of handover? Because you can go very far, right? I mean, you can go into sort of HR processes and like actual implementation and what the actual consequence of that. But I think at some point also, there's probably like another stakeholder or sort of role that has to take over that implementation process as you're working from the sort of like consulting side, I assume. Do you have any learnings on that or do you understand what I, what I, what I'm referencing here? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> as a consultancy, it's really difficult to truly implement an idea or design because uh, again, we, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't, you know, we're not going to be there on a day-to-day -day basis. We do embed ourselves a lot of, uh, as far as understanding, you know, what our clients are going through, what our counterparts are at the companies that we're working with. What are they doing? What are they dealing with? What are their challenges? What are they, you know, but all of those things, if our agreement is done, what happens? So when we think about that, that, that customer experience, can we, uh, can we deliver that? Can we be a part of every step of that? And the answer is no, it's unless we're a part of the organism itself, which is a body of people that's constantly there. Um, our value provide is, is delivered through um, not only understanding the problem, architecting a, a bit of a solution and a strategy to be able to get there, developing some elements of governance so that we can effectively manage um, challenges throughout that, uh, and then be able to put mechanisms to measure whether or not the experience is there. And that's kind of where we can find our, our line in which where we can end our agreements, we can provide um, valuable service, not only on design, um, in, in some elements of implementation, but as far as how do you govern this particular experience? How do we manage it over time? What happens if it changes? What happens if, if something goes wrong? So uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. We're, we're actually helping you know, one of our clients right now with a global design system. And part of that design system is not just, it's, it's one, it's connecting different parts of the organization, mm -hmm. but it's also uh, the rules of governance to be able to say, how, how do we make changes to this? How do we evolve it over time? When do we, when is the decision points come into play and how do we do that? We can't be a part of all of those different conversations on a global level, but what we can do is we can put some mechanisms in place to provide some guidance based on our experience that I think can help teams really, you know, answer those challenging problems when they come up. And, and we can predict a few of those things because we've seen it across industries and we've seen it in a variety of different ways. So. 
Um, the way that I would say is, is governance, a governance model, or at least some elements of you know, what to consider when it goes into play, that has value um, on, on where the conclusion of our, our relationship is. Mm -hmm. And I assume one of the challenges, uh, at least like that's my assumption is, you know, when you try to increase the scope, so let's say you work with an internal stakeholder that has a uh, focus on, you know, the certain aspect that, you know, you were kind of briefed on, unless it's the CEO that you talk to, or like the founder and so on, like that person kind of manage certain part of the, the business. And then if you try to increase the scope, um, you know, sometimes, you know, innovation can fail very easily by sort of the not invented here syndrome, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> basically that's, you know, always challenging from the outside, like also to motivate the internal team, maybe to bring in more stakeholders or to build the bridges, you know, to actually implement it because, you know, other than that, it's just going to be like a nice idea in the end, it, which not get taken forward internally because there may be assumptions internally about like why this can't work or maybe annoyed by the fact that they were not part of that process. So the importance of having your idea being co-authored, I think, right. And then uh, have the co-author kind of take it forward and, uh, you know, finish the book, if you want to say so. Um, I think that's another aspect really, I think, uh, has to be considered when like working on this bigger scope, like going from customer experience to employee experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you just hit it, is that if it's not co-created, it will, it will fundamentally fail. Even if it's not co-created within an organization and we're not involved at all, even if it's a group of employees that go in, to kind of a the private room and try to create something and then try to then uh, operationalize it within the other organization. We were actually watching this happen at one of our um, one of our clients right now, and it's a challenge in which you know it wasn't designed here, and now what we're trying to do is scale it and operationalize it, and it was is done in a black box. You know, mm -hmm. the co-creation model, we firmly believe in that as a model that has to be put into place. And so the work that we do when we do get in and have conversations, just like you said, is that the employee experience has to be designed and catered really, really closely. Otherwise it will fail like on a website if it's if, if the, the, the back end of the administration isn't really well designed in that, that way. Um, we put an equal emphasis on making sure the usefulness and usability of, uh, of an internal use product or service has has enough emphasis and focus and is considered and co-created with the team that's going to use it just as much as a customer experience. And then we try bringing, you know, outside customers to be able to bring that in as well. But that's the, that's, you know, the true value to being able to, to do that is understand designing with people and not just for them. Yeah. yeah that's a good way to phrase it. Um, so, I mean, Fresh From is based in San Diego. Um, and of course, um, I think we would also love to touch on San Diego, uh, being the world design capital for 2024 and all everything that's happened around that, but maybe you can talk a little bit about like also San Diego as an area, uh, Southern California, if you want to, uh, broaden it a little bit, uh, and the impact towards design and maybe some of the aspects, maybe the audience doesn't maybe know about um, sort of that area of the world and, and, um, how the impact was, uh, is towards design. I'm lucky to have, um, been born and raised here in San Diego. Uh, so this is a hidden gem. It's often overshadowed, overshadowed by Los Angeles and Silicon Valley. You know, we're in California, we're in the, we're a border city, um, that borders Mexico and, um, our downtown, interestingly 
is, um, is closer to Mexico than it is to the northern parts of our county. And so we have such a close proximity. We're very, very kind of connected as a region. And so when we look at, and I grew up, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up here in San Diego and I have had the luxury of being able to cross the border um, all my life and be able to kind of live in Northern Baja, kind of surfing and kind of spending all my time being able to, to, to explore the space down there um, and connect with the people and be able to, I've been to design conferences in Tijuana, like and being able to kind of cross the border and really share this space together. Um, we, we feel this is a really interesting and, and, and hidden place from a design perspective. And the reason why I say that is, is that we're known for our beaches and our weather and, you know, the very touristy kind of things. Um, but we're, we're actually an interesting kind of design and innovation hub. There's a lot of design, great design that's happening here. Uh, there's a lot of great innovation and, and um, invention um, because of the universities that we have in our region, uh, because of the some of the technology companies that are based here and founded here. Qualcomm is one of those that has spent a lot of time with uh, interesting IP that's kind of embedded in every mobile device you know around the world. And um, Tijuana has has been kind of an interesting and integral and really connected partner to us, in which we rely on each other so much that no you know nobody really understands kind of that dynamic. A lot of the times on a global level. You hear about Washington and what Washington's perspective of the relationship between U.S. and Mexico is. We have a totally different perspective about that here uh, in in our region. We're a border town. Um, we're one of the busiest border crossings uh, in the world, based on kind of one of the things. I mean, with COVID has slowed that a little bit, but we've had some challenges there. But the dynamics um, of the, the 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 merge of of what San Diego and Tijuana is. Um, is fascinating. It's very welcoming, and it's very different from LA and San Francisco and you know the other California cities that are that are here. Um, and and we're excited to share that with the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, can you talk maybe a little bit um, also on sort of like maybe some certain design aspects that people should be aware of when it comes to the the region maybe and um, maybe some of the highlights that I don't know if there is already sort of that mapped out but aspect that maybe um, you know people are going to experience on the world design capital or you know an important aspect to um, kind of keep an eye on uh, when it comes to San Diego. Yeah, it's um, you know within our region I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and give you a little history and then I'll kind of go forward but in um, roughly 2014, uh, Don Norman, uh, the kind of pseudo godfather of UX, as as um, it's been coined, um, came back to San Diego uh, and the University of California at San Diego, UCSD, and created a design lab, which is kind of this in interesting kind of uh, independent uh, lab that sits between business, the business school, the medical school, uh, performing arts, and some of the, uh, you know, the information um, or some of the different disciplines that are going on there. That um, that really kind of sparked, um, you know, with Don's kind of arrival or kind of rearrival. He was here in the 70s, I guess, 1970s, uh, in an engineering program, cognitive science, and then moved on. Um, came back to San Diego and said, "Look, let's let's really kind of think about innovation um, and and this interesting corner of the United States, and and think about kind of another innovation hub um, and using design as, as as kind of a key pillar." Um, so, what what is that? type of design that we're really talking about. 
it was really all around and really focused on human centered design at the, at the ethos of what was happening. And Don didn't really know the design community. And because of, of my roots here, I just kind of invited myself into the lab and said, Hey, Don, I, <laughs> let's talk, let's figure out what's going on here. Um, Michelle Morris, uh, was the, the, uh, associate director of the design lab. And we all got together and, um, over the course of a couple of years, um, we established a new nonprofit called the design forward Alliance, um, mm -hmm. which really was the essence to say, well, what can we do with design thinking and a human centered approach to design that's already happening here in uh, the industrial design, the medical devices is a big um, life sciences community here. We have a really, really large industry of life sciences and, and, and a lot of innovation that's happening. Everything from uh, Illumina to um, Dexcom to Tandem Diabetes. There's a variety of different companies that are really coming up and being kind of the forefront of medical devices, life sciences, and, and that being an interesting pillar of, of what was happening in design. Um, that along with um, some of the uh, research in autonomous vehicles and some of the, the driving Nissan has a design center here. And there's some, some other interesting things that are going on come from a variety of different pockets, but there's these little sprinkling elements of design from industrial to user experience, a large user experience group here um, in the user experience uh, population and a big um, population of independent designers, um, a lot of branding and creative kind of work in that space. So we brought it all together on the Design Forward Alliance and said, look, how can we bring all of these different communities together? Um, and one that I didn't mention was architecture and urban planning, which was a big part of what the World Design Capital is all about as well. And uh, the Design Forward Alliance, uh, independent nonprofit come together and said, how can we promote, advocate and connect the community? Um, and the community and, and really the things in the input, the influence that we thought we could have was really on the business community, uh, the education community um, and the future of ed, um, design education, um, as well as the local government. And local government was the hardest one uh, to really think about and crack uh, in the process. But um, but we set out to do that in, in 2016. And um, through that and through our efforts, uh, we really kind of acted as a catalyst to, to bring the community together and then say, what can we fundamentally do um, together as a community um, to celebrate what's going on here. And the World Design Capital bid uh, and the World Design Organization based in Montreal had this endeavor. And so we said, you know, we set out to say, if we, if we do this, it's not about the designation and the year long celebration of design in 2024. It's really about bringing the community together and, and seeing what we can do to experiment through design and with design in a variety of different pockets of the community. And, um, you know, as we always kind of come back to is that the, the element of problem solving is at the roots of what great design is about. So um, we look at kind of this entire region, especially a binational perspective of it, just saying, if we can solve some interesting problems here and share those with the world, I think that we'll, we will succeed. And that's kind of a cool opportunity. So the next two years, as we plan for the World Design Capital 2024, we're going to be experimenting through a variety of different things, um, bringing more of what our learnings are, and then sharing those uh, with the world as 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 we invite you know the world to come to San Diego and Tijuana and see what we're all about in, in 2024. And there's a whole series of events um, that that we'll be putting on World Design Policy Conference 
Um, there's a variety of, it's an entire month long celebration um, of, of kind of a design festival and uh, a variety of different things. If you're interested in the world design capital, uh, Valencia right now is the current designee and, um, and we're watching them closely. They've done a fantastic job through the pandemic on planning and preparing, and um, it's going to be exciting to see what they what they do um, over the the remainder of 2022. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think maybe we can also provide some context for people what um, you know that exactly is like World Design Capital. Um, you know, it's you know run by the Video World Design Organization, and especially started in 2008. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and um, basically has the focus to basically highlight certain parts of, of the world um, uh, and basically the design heritage and, and sort of like the future thinking around design within this region. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that process as well, how that process worked out and, and uh, maybe some challenges around that. Yeah, it's it's like an Olympic level bid, is what we found it's out. The Olympics of design. Uh, it's the Olympics of design. Yeah, so we, um, you know, as as the Design Forward Alliance, as I was president for the first four years of the organization's existence, um, I stood in as president, and and so we uh, we looked around. We, we we took the design process to said said you know let's observe and understand kind of what's going on you know in the region, and let's figure out whether or not we should do this. So the question of should we do this was was top of mind um, because we heard it. It was a, kind of an inkling of an idea. Um, should we should we tackle this? Is we, this is going to be bold? Uh, are we ready for this? Those are the questions that we were asking. So we kind of pulled the the community. We brought a variety of different folks together. The educate design educators. We brought um, design firm uh, and consultancy owners together. We brought uh, a variety of the design associations. We had 13, 14 different design associations, again, all different disciplines of design brought together. Um, and then we looked at, you know, other areas of the corporate design leaders in the area and said, you know, for these different conversations, really, you know, what can we do together as, as uh, to, to and, and leverage design in, in different ways? And then what should we, should we do? And we came to a conclusion saying, you know what, let's go for this. Let's, let's actually try, um, uh, to explore the opportunity of what the the bid uh, process was like, and and took a year to pull together the data, the information, the understanding, the endorsements. So we had um, a variety of different endorsements from both uh, private and public that we needed uh, funding, budgetary, organizational structure, um, and really kind of you know preparing and 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 providing a perspective and a point of view on why. Um, this is interesting to design and why this is interesting to the World Design Organization and why this could be an interesting conversation to have with the world. And a community-driven design approach and the way that we bring these two, these two countries, two cities, and, and two, two kind of uh, community groups together as one, it, it was compelling as an argument. And so that whole year, um, we kicked off, we established a lead for the, the bid um, in February of 2020, <laughs> and then and then March 2020, you know, COVID hits, and and um, and and we said, you know, this is this the time? Should we even, you know, contemplate this? But we had already had our heads down. We and and we just continued to push through and said, you know, what? In addition to doing some things that the community needed at the time, um, which was, you know, 
as a small business owners of the community, what, what, are, what are design leaders really thinking about? How are we challenged? How do we support each other? What, is, what does that really look like? And how do we, how do we fix this need? Um, a variety of societal issues that were happening at the time, we were trying to support that as well. And in addition, trying to push this bid forward. And, um, uh, and we ended up bringing an interesting, very interesting group together to, to not only create the bid, but also to create um, kind of this shortlisted experience. So we um, submitted the bid. We went through this shortlisting process. We found out we were one of the two finalists. So it was San Diego and Tijuana up against Moscow. And, um, you know, very, very different approaches to world design capital would look like in the regions. And um, what we did was we just took a very, very authentic approach. Um, we brought um, we brought the delegate down here to, to the region, showed him both uh, Tijuana and San Diego and showed it, it together um, and showed our world-class uh, venues that we have, um, this beautiful setting. He, you know, they, they met hundreds and hundreds of people. And interestingly, if you, if you visit home, uh, H-O-M-E 2024.com, that's actually, we, we actually documented the entire itinerary of bringing, mm-hmm. bringing the delegate in. And so you can see everything that was going on uh, over the two and a half days, uh, which was exhausting, but, um, but very rewarding um, with the crescendo being able to, to be on the waterfront um, talking about the future of design. Uh, and it was just, uh, still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It was, it was so, it was amazing. And uh, finding out that we uh, won the designation and now the hard work starts. Uh, we have uh, we have the next few years on on preparing and planning and uh, and delivering on that, and um, and doing it our way. You know, um, it's going to be very uh, it probably be very different from Valencia. Um, Cape Town had their own angle. Um, Torino, Helsinki, everybody had a kind of slightly different angle when they were the the designee of the World Design Capital, uh, and we're going to do it our own way as well. Um, uh, but we welcome the world to come visit and 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 see what we're up to. Yeah, really excited about that. I think it's interesting, right? The um, you know, if you look at Design Weeks, I think as sort of like a format that has been very established, and now sort of like Design Capitals. Also, how that process changes in context of of COVID uh, or like um, uh, the setup of that. For example, in the Munich Design Week, that actually had to move a couple of uh, uh, times, uh, basically in the last two years because of it. Of course, right now we're looking in a much more optimistic future. If you're 2024, I think you can be optimistic there, I hope. Um, but it's definitely interesting. Um, uh, and I think we're touching on different scales of design here. I think we first touched about like a design and a B2B relationship and you know, designing for businesses. We talked about uh, the design of the human and humanity at large that iterate the process. And I think now I think you had some interesting points how basically that's also a design process uh, after all. Um, designing uh, basically within the community um, uh, for such an event and um, how to do that. So super interesting. I would love to continue talking to you, Scott, but I think we need to wrap it up because of time. So just like to thank you so much for um, your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, we'll take it offline. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about your thoughts and biggest learnings from the episode. I'm always super curious about that. 
You can also tag me in a post about your biggest takeaway and share your insight with others to pass on your learnings. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow, subscribe and share it with friends and colleagues so they also have the chance to learn and grow. Until next time. Cheers.